grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 13 and 14. This fall, my wife and I took our kids to a pumpkin patch, an apple orchard. It was some, some good fall fun. And, you know, it kind of reminded us of living in, in small town Tennessee. They had animals and all the smells that come with that. They had produce you could pick right from the ground. They had hay rides and things to climb on and jump off. It was a lot of good old country fun. But as we walked through the apple orchard and picked our own apples right off the tree, I thought, man, this is really nice. But it also feels kind of (laughs) wrong. Like someone put in the time and effort to grow these apple trees. They got their hands dirty and sweaty in order to produce these delicious apples. And here comes this guy from the city who can barely grow grass, that's me, and I just pluck it right off and take it home. Like It was all reward and no effort. It was unjust, unfair. So what did I do? I filled my bag with apples, went home, and my wife made a delicious apple pie. Yeah. So obviously I didn't feel that bad. I did pay for the apples. It's a free market. That was the deal. But it did cause me to stop and appreciate the effort it takes to plant and grow something from the ground up. Some of you grew up on a farm or, or maybe even live on a farm now. Some of you have gardens in your backyard. So, so you know planting and growing something from the ground, it's, it's not a simple task. It takes time and careful attention and some sweat. We're really kind of spoiled today to have a supermarket on every block and be able to walk in and buy anything we want ready to eat. Like, if we actually had to plant and grow everything we eat, how many of you could survive? I think I I would definitely starve. Um, (laughs) I couldn't do it. So I'm really grateful for the men and women who do that hard work. And those folks know firsthand the, the miracle of planting a seed and watching it grow into something edible. And as I said, they they also know the difficulty and effort that comes with that process of planting. This morning, I want us to think about planting, but specifically planting a church. It's interesting that we use that same language. We we use that word plant because in, in the same way that planting and growing food is a challenging and rewarding process, so is planting and growing a church. Both come from humble beginnings with not much to show initially. Just as we plant uh, a produce with a tiny seed, we plant churches with a small team of people who have no church building usually, no budget, no, no, not much to the church name at all. And just as we daily toil over that tiny seed with water and sunlight and care, church plants also have to take a lot of work and planning and striving. And just as we rejoice at the harvest when that seed becomes a fully formed piece of produce, we also rejoice when that church plant begins to produce the fruit of freshly saved disciples. Planting a church is a challenging but rewarding task. And ultimately, it's the task we see God calling his people to do in the Bible. This is how the church was started. This is how the church grew. And this is how we are here today. And as you hopefully know by now, church planning is at the heart of the Multiply 2028 vision that our church has adopted and committed to. 
The vision says this. It's for Blue Valley Baptist to become a multiplying church that is establishing campuses locally and planning autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028. And right now, today in fact, we are kicking off what we're calling our Multiply Campaign. That campaign is our initial financial effort to get the vision off the ground with some initial opportunities and then also to pay off our church's debt so we can do this long term. And I pray if you're a member of Blue Valley Baptist Church, if you call this church your home, I hope and pray today you're prepared to give to support the vision. But what I want to do this morning is I want to spend one more week answering the question, why? The first week of the series, we asked the question, why multiply? We said that multiplication is not some unique strategy to our church, but it's actually the model that Jesus gave the very first Christian and churches. Jesus called them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It it wasn't optional, but it was baked into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We must multiply. Then last week, we asked the question, why campuses? We looked at Acts 6 and we saw that as the church grew, they faced a good problem. They were becoming more diverse and so they needed a way to minister to each diverse community. And we took some applications from that story and we saw how campuses can help us as a church to better accomplish the vision. That brings us to today. We are going to end this Multiply series by asking the question, why plant? Why church plants? Why do we need to start more churches? Don't we have enough churches in America and around the world? And churches take a lot of time and money and work and people. Can't we just send out missionaries to tell people about Jesus? Do we really need to plant churches? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. And that's what I want to show you in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And I won't be reading these chapters in their entirety, but I do want to kind of give you a lay of the land. Uh, these chapters are, tell us the story of Paul's first missionary journey. And one of the things I want us to see is the structure of these two chapters. Sometimes we think the authors of the Bible, like when it was time for them to write the Bible, they just kind of sat down and dumped everything out of their head spontaneously and they sent it out. But one thing that's clear is that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the biblical authors arrange their writing in a specific way to make a specific point. The order and style in which they wrote is important, and this is true in Acts 13 and 14. As Luke tells this story of Paul's first missionary journey, he he arranges the story like a set of stairs. He's building up to one big point, And then he builds it back the same way he came. So in that sense, it's kind of circular. Paul begins the story in the city of Antioch. And he actually ends the story back in the city of Antioch. And at the top of that structure, at the climax, we're going to see Luke's big point for us today. We're going to get there. But as we work our way, I want to show you four reasons from this passage why we plant churches. Here's the first reason. Church plants transform churches. Look with me at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the churches gather together, similar to what we're doing today. They're worshiping, but it also says they're fasting. I think fasting is one of the biggest things that we've kind of lost in our modern church today. But it's clear that fasting was a really important part of the early church. It's something they did together. And yet today we, we don't really hear about it as much. We tend to think fasting is for like those radical Christians. But it's clear that fasting and prayer was so important to advancing the mission of the church because it's, it's while they're doing this, while they're praying and seeking the Lord, that the Holy Spirit actually speaks. Now, as Baptists, we might get a little uncomfortable at some of this, but the Holy Spirit actually speaks to his people. What did that look like? And what did the Holy Spirit sound like? I, I try to imagine it. We don't know. But it doesn't seem to be a mystery to these believers. However it took place, it was clear, it was distinct. And they knew what needed to be done because the Holy Spirit had the authority in their church. And the Holy Spirit called the church to set aside Paul and Barnabas and to send them out. So they do it. They lay their hands on the men. They pray, they fast, they send them out just like that. They didn't stress over the budget or have a big drawn-out business meeting. They didn't have to beg someone to go. They said, this is what God wants. Let's go. And Paul and Barnabas were on their way. Paul, we know, is a pretty important figure in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote a lot of it. But before he was a Christian, Paul was actually a strict Pharisee who persecuted the church. He was trying to shut down the spread of Christianity. And after he was converted on the road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus. He received the call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is important for us to understand because before this point, the majority of Christians were converted from Judaism. Uh, they knew the Old Testament. They knew God. They grew up in that central storyline. But as the story went on, it became increasingly clear to the disciples that Jesus didn't just come to save the Jewish people. He came to save all nations. And so they had an obligation to go to the ends of the earth, to get the gospel to all people everywhere. And Paul was a central catalyst in making that happen. In fact, he's a big reason that you and I as Gentiles are here today. So this moment of sending Paul and Barnabas out on a journey was a defining moment in the life of this church. It transformed the church really in three ways. First, it transformed the church by broadening their outlook. When you plant a church, you no longer have the option of thinking about just yourself and your church. You begin to think about others. You have a new burden for what they call your daughter church. You have another church that you need to pray for and support. See, the mission becomes broadened beyond the four walls of your building. It's not just how can we grow our church right here. No, it's how can we grow the churches we plant so they can plant more churches. Second, church planning transforms the church by motivating the church. I mean, think about how exciting it was if you would have been a part of that worship service 2,000 years ago where the Holy Spirit spoke and you sent Paul and Barnabas out. And then think about how excited it would have been, exciting it would have been for them to come home and share the stories. Look at this and flip over to, to chapter 14 of Acts towards the end, verse 27. This is the moment. Paul and Barnabas get back from their journey. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them 
and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So when Paul and Barnabas make it home, the whole church gets together and they tell all that God has done. And you can imagine people like, hey, Paul, Paul, tell us about that, that story again where you healed the lame man. And Barnabas, tell us how you guys survived, like almost being killed in Lystra. See, church planning, it, it motivates, it encourages the church, it causes the church to want to do more because they've seen firsthand what God can do. They're not sad to be losing people. They're excited to send more and more people out to plant. And they're not struggling to, to raise the funds to do it. They're actually joyfully giving to see more churches started. And third, church planning transforms the church by multiplying its impact. And this is just common sense. More churches means more people reached, which means more of an impact for the kingdom of God. And this is the reason there is a Starbucks on every corner in our town, it seems like. The more coffee shops they build, the more coffee they sell, the more profit they make. And let me tell you, they make a lot of profit. Right, Aim? Me and Aim like, the, like Starbucks. When churches plant churches, they no longer just impact the people at their church, but they begin to impact people through their daughter churches. They plant churches that plant churches that plant churches, and this is actually how Blue Valley came to be. Did you know that 40 years ago, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Johnson County sent a group of people to start a new church in what was called Stanley? People tell me that was an actual place. I don't know where... Apparently, it's, I just think Overland Park, but apparently Stanley, they actually met in the basement of a bar where liquids <laughs> drip through on them during church in the morning. That's how we were started. And, and so the people at Emmanuel, even after 40 years, they may not even realize it. They're still seeing the, the fruit of their decision to plant a new church. Like church planting transforms churches, and this is so exciting. But it's also going to be so challenging. Because this is going to change our church. We've said this from the beginning. There's going to be some difficult, uncomfortable change as we live out this mission. We're going to lose some people that we love to send them out to start a new church or start a new campus. We're going to lose some financial opportunities we might have at this campus for the sake of starting another but despite what we lose, what we gain will be so much greater because our church will be transformed into the church that God has called us to be. A multiplying, church-planning, disciple-making, God-glorifying church. And as a result, we'll experience his blessing like never before. So that's the first reason we plant, because church planting transforms churches. Here's the second reason. Church planting transforms lives. The next step in our, our text shows Paul and Barnabas encountering two people and transforming their lives with the power of the gospel. Look first at Acts 13, verses 4 through 12. This is quite a story right here. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. Now don't go home and quote that scripture to your spouse, okay? He said, You son of the devil, you uh, enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So that's the first encounter they, they have in, in seeing someone's lives transformed, which is a pretty crazy story. But now flip over with me to Acts 14, 8 through 10. Here's the second example of them transforming someone's life. 14, 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He, he listened to Paul speaking and, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So in both situations, Paul performs a miracle. In the first encounter, he makes an evil magician blind. and In the second encounter, he makes a lame man walk. And in both situations, people believe as a result of the miracle. The proconsul's life is, is transformed. The, the, the lame man's life is transformed. And this happens as a result of Paul and Barnabas going out to plant churches. See, one of the unique things about church planting is that you get the opportunity to reach people that an established church might not be able to reach. When I was in high school, my dad actually planted a church in our hometown. And, and one of the goals of that church from the very beginning was to reach people that no other church was reaching in our community. So the, the style and the context of the church was a little different. We met in an old, dusty warehouse. And I'll never forget the numbers of people that I remember hearing say, man, I, I told myself I would never be caught alive in a church, but I really feel at home here. I remember the day a guy, his first day out of prison, came to church. And those were the kinds of people that our church reached. It was people from different sort of backgrounds, people who felt like they may not be accepted at a more traditional established church. But for some reason, they found a home at my dad's church and their lives were transformed. And statistics actually show this to be true. The North American Mission Board, which leads the way for Southern Baptist church planning efforts, they report that on average, church plants baptize more people per attendee than established churches. In recent years, in states like Minnesota and Wisconsin, more people were baptized at church plants than all other SBC churches combined. In the New England states, up in the Northeast, 34% of all baptisms right now are happening at new church plants. See, church plants transform lives, and, and this just makes sense practically. I mean, how are we in Olathe, Kansas, going to reach people in Indonesia or Tanzania or even Switzerland? I mean, sure, we can take a two-week mission trip up there, and that's a great thing to do. I'll sign up for the Switzerland trip. But, but ultimately, we need healthy, growing churches there that can reach people for the long haul. I mean, we've got to plant churches if we want to reach people. 
and more churches equals more people being reached equals more lives transformed by the gospel because church plants transform lives. Here's the third reason we plant. Church plants transform communities. Paul and Barnabas had this specific pattern to their mission work when they went into a new community. They would start out in the synagogue preaching to the Jewish people, showing them from the Old Testament how Jesus was the true Messiah. Some of the Jews would believe and they'd hear the gospel and they'd go out into the community from there. And and look at what happens after Paul finishes preaching at the synagogue in Antioch. It's a different Antioch from where they started. But look at Acts 13, verses 42 to 44. Here's what happened. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The whole city comes out to hear the gospel. After Paul and Barnabas teach about Jesus and Jew and Gentile, the whole city is transformed. This is what church planning does. It transforms communities. One of our first church planning initiatives that the elders have approved is planning a church through an organization called Compassion International in South or Central America. And Lord willing, if we can get through COVID, this is going to happen in the next 18 months. And the cool thing about planning a church through the organization Compassion is that through that local church that we start, Compassion will help us to literally transform the community. We'll have the opportunity to sponsor children in that community where through our funding and through the local church, not only will their spiritual needs be met, but also their physical needs will be met. That church plant will help to alleviate poverty and provide needed medical care and hygiene training, provide education for the kids, help them with nutrition and life skills training. That church we plant will literally transform that community. And this is what churches are designed to do. Churches are outposts and embassies of the kingdom of God through our local body. We represent the kingdom of God wherever we are. So each local church has the opportunity to impact the unique needs of their community. I mean, we see this right here at the Ridgeview campus through our partnership with the Rolling Ridge Apartment Complex, where we, we preach the gospel and we also meet practical needs. We teach ESL, we provide food, we help kids with tutoring. We have some amazing people at our church who lead that. God, this is the calling of the church, to, to minister outside of ourselves, to be salt and light in the community where God has placed us. Churches transform communities. So obviously, as we plant more churches, we transform more communities. That's the third reason we plant. We plant. Here's the fourth and last reason. Church plants transform the world. As I said in the beginning, Luke arranged these two chapters in a particular way to make a particular point. And Nathan Chang, who I think he preached back here in September, he's our church planner resident Antioch in the spring. He's going to be planning a church out in Leewood. And as we studied for this sermon, as we often do together, Nathan kind of pointed out what Luke was doing here, that he was drawing our attention to right in the middle of these chapters to make this point. And let me, let me show you in Acts, 30, sorry, Acts 13, 45 through 49. Here is what he's pointing us to. But when the Jews saw the crowds, 
They were filled with jealousy and, and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is what Luke is wanting us to see. He's wanting us to see that the gospel, the message of Jesus, was not just for the Jewish world. It's for all the world. It's a global message with a global purpose to transform every nation on the planet. And this is what happened. Men like Apostle Paul and Barnabas were obedient to God and they took the gospel out to the nations. And at the end of chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas on their way home. There was a shorter route they could have taken, but instead they decided to go back through these towns a second time to strengthen the churches and to appoint elders to lead each of them. And this very thing still happens in the world today. Thousands of men and women are spread all over the world right now, laboring to plant churches in places where there aren't any. And we have a responsibility to help them because the task is not finished yet. And church planting is not just the job of a, of a select few super Christians. It's not just a job for big churches with big budgets. It's not just a job for missions organizations. It's a job for the church, every church, including ours. And the task is not finished. So what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And we have a plan in place. It looks good on paper. We have a vision. We have a campaign. But now we need you. We need your help. So often we, we talk about changing the world. We hear politicians talk about how their policies are going to change the world. We hear movements talk about how their ideas are going to change the world. We all have this drive inside of us to make a difference on this planet from the time that God has given us. Like we want to get to the end of our lives and believe that we did something meaningful with what God gave us. Guys, the ultimate way to change a church to change the world and leave a legacy and live a life that matters is by advancing the mission of God to the glory of God. And God has called us to do that right here through the local church by planting more churches. So again, what are you going to do about it? Each of us has a role to play. What's yours? Let's start with the campaign today. How is God calling you to give? Maybe he's calling you to give an amount that makes you a little uncomfortable. You know, one of our 5S habits, sacrifice, I will give my life to God and people beyond what's comfortable. Or how is God calling you to help plant churches? Maybe he's preparing you to move to a new area and help establish a new church. Maybe he's preparing you to teach Sunday school or serve as a greeter or be on the worship team of a new church plant. Maybe he's calling you to plant the church. Church planting transforms the world. 
We have a clear calling. We have a clear vision. We have a clear plan. So what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Let's bow our heads and go before the Lord as we close. And I want you to spend a moment in prayer with God, just you and him. And I want you to ask the question, God, what is my role in this vision? I want you to ask God to make it clear and to give you the grace and boldness to do as he calls. Spend a moment doing that.